Please stand if you are able for a reading from God's holy word. Today's scripture reading is from Exodus 20:16. So please read the verse with me. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Morning. Excited you're here. Um, I'm, I'm surprised that we, you guys keep on coming back. Uh, this, this is great news. I know we're worshiping outside and some, uh, some bad news, it's warm. Uh, but some good news, it's, it's better than yesterday. And so uh, praise God for that. My name is Daniel, one of the pastors here. Uh, again, so thankful that uh, we can worship together like this in whatever way. Uh, we've tried so many different things. I can't even count uh, you know, what those have looked like uh, for us um, over the past year and a half. But we're doing it one more time, and we'll see if that sticks. Uh, but uh, praise God that we can gather together to worship. Um, did you know that every one of us, each of us, carries a lethal weapon with us wherever we go? No, it's not these. few people laughing, that's okay. <laughs> well, Solomon writes in the book of Proverbs that life and death are in the power of the tongue. The power of the tongue. What an amazing statement that Solomon makes. And again, this next commandment that we're looking at, the ninth word is about the power of the tongue. We're continuing our series on the Ten Commandments, uh, Ten Words to Live By. Uh, we are on the ninth this morning, which means that we have one more left to go. And perhaps if you have been here for the previous eight, you may be thinking that each of the previous eight sermons all kind of sound the same. Actually, I'm not sure if you're thinking that or not. You may be thinking, Daniel, all the ones that you preach sound the same. <laughs> and full confession, although each word has a different application... And though each commandment addresses a different aspect of our life as followers of Jesus, the heart of the matter, the essence of each of the words is the same. No other gods, no idols, not misusing the name of the Lord our God in vain, keeping the Sabbath day holy, honor parents, do not murder, do not commit adultery, and do not steal. And this morning, do not bear false witness against your neighbor. If we're not careful, we can easily fall victim to viewing the Ten Commandments as just rules that we break or just rules that we keep. I think the tendency is to view the law much like we see the laws of the United States or maybe, in, maybe even regulations or, or legislation at, at work in the workplace the law seems cold and impersonal. There's no face behind the law. Maybe a body of governing officials or a judge or a cop. However, I think the way the law was intended to be viewed was never just to see the law as something we break or something we keep, not cold or impersonal, but to attach a face to attach a person, a heart, 
emotions to the one who gives the law. And perhaps more than the laws we break or the laws we keep, we were to view the law as the hearts we break when we feel to, fail to keep them or a desire to please the one who gave them in the first place. You see, a picture of the law that's closer to the intentions of the Ten Commandments was never to be just legislation or constitution or charter. It was intended to reveal the heart of the lawgiver. It was to be viewed more like rules in a house than in a company. More like rules for children in a loving home than citizens of a country. And a violation of the Ten Commandments boils down to a failure to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second one, to love our neighbor as ourselves, whom God has made in His image. And so the real issue with each of the Ten Commandments is not how well we have kept them with our hands, our actions, so to speak, but how well we have kept them with our hearts. And as Jesus expounds on those laws of the Old Testament, he blurs the lines between practice and thoughts, what we do and what we think about what we do. Jesus seems to, uh, to equate the two and say that one is just as much a violation of the other, a violation of the command as the other. And a ninth is no different. In Exodus 20, 16, the ninth word, we read, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, this covers a lot. It really is simple, but it covers a pretty wide breadth of how we can violate this particular commandment. Simply, lying. It might appear in the form of a white lie, perhaps, what seems to be harmless or trivial. Not sure exactly how accurate this is, but one psychology magazine, one study shows that breaker of the law. kidding. Uh, well, again, uh, one study shows that 95%, I'm not sure how accurate this is, but uh, one psychology magazine that I read said 95% of people tell at least one lie per week. I don't know, that seems, that seems pretty high, and, that's, and I know for sure that that's maybe me when I raise my arms. Uh, but now again, uh, we these, are not be, these, these may not be real lies or big lies, but might be small or inconsequential. But we do it maybe because the truth is overly complicated or because we want to avoid hurting a person. And so sometimes we lie. Or sometimes it's more deliberate, right? It's more straightforward. It's premeditated. We think about it, and then we, we actually do it, and we lie outright about someone or about something or about ourselves. There are other forms of false witness that we commit against our neighbor. Jen Wilkin in her book, again, we've been quoting her quite a bit, identifies four, the sin of reviling, the sin of flattery, the sin of silence, and the sin of misattribution. The sin of reviling, to assault someone with abusive speech. This one is addressed a lot in scripture. Reviling is listed alongside sins like idolatry and theft and drunkenness and sexual immorality. Again, all sorts of, of, 
of sins that we, we can identify as sins. And, and again, throughout Scripture, reviling is, is listed among these particular ones. Let me make a quick comment about this. In a culture where we want the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, sometimes reviling appears in the form of speaking our mind or just being honest. So much so that in social media abbreviations, now if you're familiar and down and hip with it, IMO, in my opinion, or IMHO is a thing in my honest opinion. In our culture, it's never just honest opinion. I don't think that's how it works. It's honest opinion with sometimes verbal assault of sorts. Wilkins states, we routinely exercise our online speech in the business of tearing down the good name of our neighbor, the politician, our neighbor, the pastor, our neighbor, the public figure. She writes, the lack of face-to-face -face interaction increases our boldness, and we become drunk on the adrenaline rush. We are virtual Bonnies and Clydes with fully loaded keyboards and full-seated conscious, consciences. Social media is just a new vehicle for an old sin, one that works into its way, uh, whatever medium it can. And it's scary because unknowingly, we find any opportunity to revile someone, perhaps to increase our own value and decrease the value of someone else. Or what about the sin of silence? This may be the opposite of the previous one. There may be times when we are silent, when we need to say something. We mustn't use the command to be slow to speak as an excuse for never speaking. Again, quoting Wilkins, she says, God help us if we claim to be wise in our silence, when in fact we are just masking cowardice. Ouch. Sinful silence can be subtle. It may not appear to anyone around us. No one can tell when we're silent, what we're thinking, what feelings we're harboring, what's going on in our hearts, what's going on in our mind, what we think, what we really think about the other person. Silence is subtle. It may not be clear to anyone around us. And as I have mentioned before, no one knows our hearts better than God. No one is able to keep in check, check what's happening, what's actually happening in our hearts, except God alone. There's this wonderful book by a Christian counselor named Larry Crabb who has written a book called The Silence of Adam, of Adam's muted lips when Satan tempts Eve in the garden. All to suggest that perhaps Adam should have said something. There are others. Careless exaggeration. Gossip. Slander. Defamation of a person's character. False witness. False accusations. And you may already know these are so terrible, right? And we may know why these are so terrible. And why, as followers of Jesus, we need to this, this particular word about what it means to bear false witness of our neighbors. 
the second half of the Ten Commandments is really about love of neighbor and about how we honor them well or about how we are to mutually submit to one another. And again, if these are seen as merely laws that we keep or rules that we break, then again, we miss the whole point of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not given to Israel for their individual or personal piety. It wasn't just so that if I keep these, I might look better before God. If I keep the rules, that I might have a better standing before God. The Ten Commandments were not given to Israel for their individual or personal piety. This isn't just a how to merit personal favor with God, nor is it a personal how to get better at life or how to get better at spirituality or how to bring better inner peace or about being a better Christian for that matter. The Ten Commandments are about the well-being of the whole community. When we think about the Ten Commandments, it's not just that God gave us these so that we might follow them well, but that we might follow them well for the sake of others. It's about the whole community. The Ten Commandments are there. The concern is to preserve a community of believers who are building one another up, united in their fellowship. And as important as personal integrity is in all these matters addressed from the fifth commandment all the way to the tenth, God's word always has in view the effect of perhaps an individual behavior and his or her effect or impact on the whole community. And so this commandment is not given simply because God wants us to be truthful or God wants us to be better keepers of our lips or God wants us to be careful what we say. Yes, those are all true. Yes, God wants us to be truthful and God cares about what comes out of the overflow of our hearts, out of our mouths. He does. And it's not only given because he wants us to be truthful, because he is truthful, but he gives us his command because he wants us to be concerned about the well-being of the whole covenant community. What's important to God is the well-being and the welfare and the health of the whole group, of the whole church, about how we interact. 27 times throughout the New Testament, there are these one another passages really about how to care for one another well, how to mutually submit to one another out of love, how to confess our sins to one another. Over and over again, he does this really because he's concerned about the well-being of the whole community. And he wants us to realize that personal untruthfulness is harmful to the whole community at large. False testimony hurts the whole community. God wants us to realize that our personal actions have an impact on the whole community. What's so terrible about violating this command? My friends, it can break up a church in a second. 
It destroys communities. It wrecks the home. It fractures families. It poisons every human relationship. And that's why when the Ten Commandments are given, it's not just addressed to one, it's addressed to the whole group. How we care for one another. The Ninth Commandment adds a phrase we might tend to overlook, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Isn't it ironic that we are most likely, I think, to lie to those who are closest to us? Our wife, our husband, our children, our parents, our best friend, with those with whom you work, our literal neighbors. And once again, we come face to face with this awful reality that this commandment is not directed to the people out there but sometimes the people in here. I want to apologize because I think the word can come off pretty harsh. And I think the word can come off pretty cold. And I think it has a way of, of convicting us of sin that we don't like to confront. But on the same, in the same vein, it's, it's hard to apologize for what the Bible says. My friends, church, this commandment is for us. But for every thou shalt not, Whenever you look at the Ten Commandments, for every thou shalt not, there's always a, a thou shalt. Right? If, if God is telling us not to do something, then he's also telling us to do something. For every thou shalt not, there is a thou shalt. It directs us to be faithful in our witness. It makes us love our neighbor, not because they are lovable or worthy of our love, we think, but because God commands us to, because they're, in the, they're made and created in the same image as we are. Love for neighbor. And the Bible is clear that we acknowledge our love of God by loving neighbor. Even John says, how can we say we love our neighbor, right? How can we say we love our brother when we cannot love our, or how can we say we love God when we cannot love our our brothers. We acknowledge love of God by loving our neighbor. But thou shalt is that we, when we guard our tongues and we watch what we say, when we do it for the sake of the witness, we, we do it because of a, of a love for God. And this love for God and love for one another is a witness to the world. This command directs us to be concerned. Again, here is the thou shalt to be concerned for our brothers and our sisters' reputation, to care for our neighbor's reputation. How? To have charitable opinions, to have good estimations of our friends, 
Are we charitable in the way we estimate our neighbors or do we, or do we think the worst of them? The Bible tells us since we have been saved and we are a redeemed people, our lives should exemplify that particular position that we have in Christ. That transformation needs to take place in all of us. We need to be reminded that we have been created to praise Him and to love one another. Our obedience, the ninth commandment, we always have in view that our speech is the measure of our love for God. Our speech is a measure of our loyalty to God. And the way we love our neighbors in speech is a more accurate gauge to our real piety and love for God than any claim that we can make. What we say. There is the good news and there is the bad news. The bad news is that we are sinful violators of this particular commandment. But church, the good news, the thou shalt, the words of encouragement spoken for us is about how we are to care for one another the same way that God has cared for us. That we are to love one another as God has loved us in Christ. But here's the third thing. Why is telling the truth so, so important? It is important because it is the nature of God himself. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. What makes God God and not a human? One answer is that he never lies, ever. Jesus says, I am the way. And he says, I am the truth, and I am the life. It's the nature of God himself. 